Hi, I'm Lisa Levin. And I'm Julie Sapper. We're the co-founders of Run Farther and Faster and co-hosts of the podcast under the same name. While we started this podcast as a Boston Marathon-focused podcast based on the experiences from our combined 31 finishes, we cover all things running-related. We've coached runners of all levels and goal distances all over the world for over 13 years. Thanks so much for joining us. We are so excited you're here. Hey, Lisa. Hey, Julie. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I am great. It is April. We are we are in Boston Marathon Month. We are in Boston Marathon territory. We are two weeks away. So that's really exciting. Super exciting. So today is Monday, April 3rd, and it is the day after the Cherry Blossom race. So let's kick it off. Tell me how Cherry Blossom went for you. Yeah, Cherry Blossom is always, I think I mentioned this on the last podcast, it always feels like that um, transition to Boston. It's always Cherry Blossom and Boston. So as soon as Cherry Blossom comes, it feels like it's Boston time. Um, so Cherry Blossom was another um, great race. Uh, a little bit of um, stress this year over um, over the weather. Of course, there's always a little bit, of, you know, there's always the weather's the wild card. Um, and I will also preface, preface this with saying that this is the first year that Cherry Blossom um split the 5k and the 10 miler in past years, it was the 10 miler. It started at seven 30 and the 10 and the 5k was a little bit later in the morning, like nine or nine 15, but they were both on Sunday morning. So this year was the first year that they decided to do the 5k on Saturday and the 10 miler on Sunday, which also gave people the opportunity to do both. And so they had like the double charity challenge or I'm forgetting what the name was, but you could, you could register and do, and do both. So, um, I'll back up and talk a little bit about the expo. The one thing I don't love about cherry blossom is packet pickup, which is downtown at the national building museum. And it's just not that convenient. It's not that easy to get downtown. Parking is not that easy, but lucky for me, I had a friend visiting um, from Chicago, visiting DC with her daughter, well, with one daughter, her other daughter is at GW law school. And she had asked me a few months ago, are you, are you free? Would you want to come down and meet up with us? And um, so I decided to go down on Friday anyway, to see her and then hit the expo after. So I kind of combined it um, with, with two, um, you know, combined it with a visit with her. So I went down earlier in the afternoon. I booked a, a spot with spot hero in a garage that was not, it was in between um, where I was meeting her and the expo. So it was not too far from either. And that worked out really well. Luckily Friday traffic going downtown was not too bad. Maybe it was the start of spring break. Maybe it's just Friday. People aren't going into the offices. So as much as I was dreading driving into downtown on a Friday and finding parking, it worked out really well. So I'd highly recommend anyone who has to go downtown um, to get their packet on Friday or Saturday, do spot hero or, you know, a similar, you know, or metro. parking app. Right, or Metro, right. Absolutely. You could certainly Metro. Um, uh, but if you're driving in, you know, book, book ahead of time, you do not have to do that for Sunday morning. The race on the website, you know, advertises it and says, book your parking for Sunday morning. Sunday parking is free in the city and parking is pretty plentiful on the side streets. And we'll get to that, but, um, that's what I did for the expo. And then, um, our, our, uh, run farther and faster alum and previous podcast host, Lori Rice, had introduced me virtually through text to a friend of hers who was coming in um, from Boulder to run the race and, you know, connected us and her name is Amanda. And she you know, said, maybe can we meet up for the expo uh, on Friday? And so after I visited my other friend, I went by Amanda's hotel and picked her up and we walked to the expo and it was so nice to meet her. She's so lovely. She's um, had asked for the link to our podcast. So if she's listening to the podcast now, we say hi. Hi, Amanda. And it was just so nice um, to, to get to talk to her and know her. Um, she has trained with um, her previous coach is Nell Rojas. 
And Amanda was actually a collegiate runner um, at um, Cal Poly SLO. And uh, so she, and she is a, a master's runner, uh, a grand master's runner actually, who's just still um, a super fast runner. So it was just really neat to talk to her about her progression of her running career. And, and um, luckily we had, <laughs> luckily uh, we had each other to talk to because we got to the National Building Museum and this has never happened before. But I think because the 5K was Saturday morning and people had to either pick up their packets Friday afternoon or risk picking them up Saturday morning and getting, and they had warned everybody we we're gonna have long lines on Saturday. You really wanna pick them up on Friday. We got to the National Building Museum and the line was outside the building for at least a half mile, if not more. It wraps all the way around the building, all the way down the street. We kept walking going, where is the end of this line? And is this the right line that we need to be in? We kept asking people, is this the pickup packets? And everyone's like, yep, 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 yep. So um, we went all the way to the end of the line. Now the line was moving pretty steadily, but we were like, oh my gosh, how long is this gonna take? And um, as we got into packet pickup, I saw some of our, um, a lot of our Montgomery County Roadrunners Club friends volunteer at the expo. And as I got in, I saw a few of them who said, this is insanity. They, they did not anticipate this. This is not. So I don't know if they're going to have to tweak things in the future. Again, it really in the end did not take that long. It just looked really overwhelming. And they were overwhelmed inside the expo. Mm -hmm. And the expo was really crowded. And this is a theme that will continue on through the rest of the race for whatever, whatever reason that I'll talk about. So um, anyway, you know, packet pickup got in. I thought getting in on Friday would be, you know, before the crowds on Saturday would be great, but it was not. It was very, very crowded. So packet pickup was very easy. Um, we saw um, a, a couple of our runners there actually. And uh, Catherine Switzer had just given a talk and was signing her book. So I didn't get to say hello to her, but kind of saw her, um, saw one of our runners, Beth Pontius was in line to get her book signed by her. So did get to kind of see, see the book signing um, and, and then got out of there. Cause you know, I just, I wanted to get home. It had been, it had been a long day, but uh, yeah, well, it will be interesting to see if next year they either expand the, the expo hours or change the packet pickup somehow, just because I don't think they were anticipating such a crowd at the expo on Friday. And you also saw someone else in line at the expo you had mentioned to me. Yes, it was so fun. So we got in line and um, Derek Chin is one of our former run fa farther and faster, uh, you know, alums and runners. And he, um, Derek has done, now I'm forgetting how many times, I think it's like 15 or 20. He, he does cherry blossom every year. He's done it every year. And of course, as we're getting in line, Derek was right there. So we got to catch up with Derek. It was really nice to see him. Um, yeah, a lot of familiar faces. It's a nice, it's a nice feeling too. Um, and, and Amanda had remarked that, you know, it was, it was such a nice feel to the expo that, you know, it's, it's a great expo. It's a great experience. It just, I said, people should just brace themselves for crowds on Friday or Saturday. So that was done. Packet was picked up. And Elisa Harvey, you ran into our podcast. Oh, yes, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, who else did I run into? Ran into a lot of people. We did run into a lot of people. But yes, we had just recorded our episode with Elisa Harvey the day before. And as I'm picking up my packet, um, she was right behind me. And I got to say hello and give her a hug and thank her for being on our podcast and um, wish her, you know, good luck at, at the race. So that was, yes, that was another person I ran into. Lot, lots of, of familiar faces. And um, it was a lot of fun. And I had to kind of, push myself out of there because I had to get back for some dinner plans. So um, Amanda and I walked back to her hotel and I got back to my car and got out of there. Um, so, so yeah, so the, that's my one thing I don't love about Cherry Blossom. They may have had an option this year. I'd have to go back and check to have your bib mailed. You know, I obviously didn't choose that, but it, that that's certainly an option for people who, if they offer that, like, and you don't want to deal with the, with the headache of the expo. I think the expo is just a, like, that's one of the um, reasons I would 
not do cherry blossoms have to deal with the the hassle of getting down there now other people somebody can pick up your bib for you so if somebody's going down and can pick up a bunch of bibs then that's a that's another option but it was um you know and i know you and i have uh in the past i think maybe once or twice we've stayed downtown overnight you know after the expo and before the next morning so that's a fun idea too if you can make a make a night of it um so uh saturday morning was the 5k the weather was um, pretty uh, uh, sketchy. It was it was very questionable, uh, and in fact, they had to cancel the kids run, the one mile kids run that was Saturday morning because we had high winds, um, rain, and thunder and lightning. Um, we had a front coming through. It was very reminiscent of um, Indianapolis weather. It was warm. It was like sixties, rainy, and really windy. And uh, we could hear the winds whipping overnight. Uh, you know, and uh, we did have one runner who did the five k on Saturday. Um, and so I kept in touch with her and, you know, she said it was fine. She said they actually got off um, before the torrential downpours came. So they, I think they finished before, but the winds were certainly an issue after they turned around at the tournament point to come back. Um, so the, the winds were an issue. I think they couldn't set up certain things. I know um, our friend and former podcast guest, Rachel Miller of Production Physical Therapy is the medical coordinator. And she told me they wouldn't let them set up the tents for the medical, um, medical tents until really, really early Sunday morning, they made them wait because of the high wind. So I know they had to make some accommodations for the winds. And one of them was unfortunately canceling the kids runs, which I think they're allowing the kids to do like a virtual run at some point. So it's unfortunate. I know it's a hard choice. Um, I'm sure that was a tough decision for them to make, but I think it was the right one given, given the weather on Saturday. So um, 5k went off. Um, you know, we then had a very weird day on Saturday where the middle of the day was beautiful. It was like 70, 75 degrees and sunny. And um, it was hard for me to even imagine. I knew the forecast for, for Sunday morning was to be very cold, but it was just hard to even imagine that it was going to be cold because it was such a beautiful day. And then a front came through Saturday evening, which also brought really strong winds again. And I was, you know, hearing all night as I was sleeping, you know, trying to sleep the night before the race, you could hear the high winds. And when we woke up Sunday morning, the winds were still whipping and the temperature had drop down to the forties, but not, not as cold as I thought it was going to be. And I, I kind of debated in my head, do I wear pants and long sleeves? Do I wear shorts? Do I wear, a, you know, our, our racing team singlet? Do I wear arm warmers? And so when I woke up on Sunday morning, I kind of decided to go for it and wear shorts and a singlet and arm warmers, um, because I knew it was going to be sunny and, um, I didn't want to overheat. And that had happened at RCA 10 miler. And even to some extent, um, the half marathon I had done where it was cold in the morning, but it was sunny. And I kind of over, I, I, you know, overdressed and I used to be able to do that better as I'm getting older and finding I can't overdress as much. I, I it, it used to not bother me. I'd say, okay, it's, I'd rather run too warm than too cold, but now it, it bothers me a little. It's interesting to see my um, tolerance for the temperatures. So with that in mind, I put on shorts, um, the racing singlet and arm warmers, but I did bring with me options in case I decided like when we got out of the car. Um, but once we got out of the car, so driving downtown again, you don't really need to book um, parking in advance. If you get there early enough, we were there by race starts at 730. We were there by 610 or so, 615, and kind of got one of the last spots on one of the side streets like that was still open. Um, uh, so but there were still there would we, we still would have been able to find parking, you know, just maybe a couple blocks away. So you can always find street parking and it's free on Sundays. So if you can get down there, you know, somebody's doing it in the future, if you can get down there by six, six fifteen, you should not have a problem finding street parking. Um, 
north of Constitution is the easiest place to find it. We were at 17th and C Streets, which is just a block off of where kind of the, the race staging area is. So it was pretty easy. So um, in terms of timing wise, um, that's probably the best timing is to aim to get there. If you're, um, you cannot take Metro for the um, 10 miler, Metro opens at 7 a.m., restarts at 7.30. So um, not, you know, obviously not, not an option. So Uber, we saw a lot of people Ubering in, um, a lot of people parking. Uh, so uh, so we um, got there at about 6, 6.15. We walked up to the staging area. It was already um, really crowded. Uh, porta potties are plenty. Um, we found several banks that had no lines. So again, once if you get there 6.15, 6.30, you should be able to find porta potties with no lines. Um, and, uh, you know, just um, uh, took our bags over to be checked, um, went over to see Rachel and the, and the medical tent and say hello, uh, met up with uh, the MCRC racing team to do a, a short warm up. And one thing we always caution our runners, and I just was, it was reinforced in my head um, for this race, was get to the corrals early. Um, the race does not start until 7.30. The women's advance start started at 7.18. I got to the corrals at 7 o'clock. I watched my watch this time to see, and they were already not super crowded, but pretty crowded. By 7.10, we were packed in like sardines. So anyone, again, doing this in the future, like we put this in our race prep, but reinforcing, get to your corrals by about 7 and just keep an eye on how crowded they're getting. And I would say get in there right around 7. And it means you're standing in the corral. So I did wear um, a sweatshirt and sweatpants over my shorts and my tank with arm warmers to stay warm, which I was glad I had because it was windy. Um, and I kept them on in the corral and then kind of, um, you know, it was interesting. I was debating when I should take them off. And I looked at like 720 and I thought still 10 minutes, like I still want to stay warm. Um, but then as, when I did take start taking them off, I couldn't even get to the sides of the corral to toss them out. You know, it's like you were so packed in by then. So I had to ask people to pass it along to the outside of the corral to dump it in a bag or, you know, the, the donation bag. I could not move anywhere by 720. I could not even move anywhere in the corral. So again, that just kind of reinforces how crowded it gets in the corrals. And I felt, and we'll talk about this a little more, but I felt like this year was more crowded than normal. I don't know why I was starting in the same corral and the same place I normally start, but it felt so much more crowded and it did not change throughout, throughout the race. So and how did, how did you feel that the crowds and the winds impacted your race? Yeah. So, um, you know, the gun was off at seven 30, um, took us a little, you know, 30 seconds or so to cross the start line. Um, and as soon as the cherry blossom course starts, you turn toward the right and the winds were coming from the North Northwest. And so when you turn to the right, um, you're heading right into the wind. So as soon as we made that turn, I could, we could feel the winds and actually during our warm up, we did the similar thing. We ran first out that way. And then, um, uh, and, and could feel the winds. And as soon as we turned back to come back, it was like, oh, there's a you know, nice tailwind. So it was, it was definitely noticeable. I feel like it was maybe a little more, um, tempered because of the crowd. So you could still, um, you, you could draft, it was a little bit of a buffer, but man, I will tell you those crowds. And I know typically the first mile of cherry blossom at least about the first mile is crowded and you've just got to watch your footing and you've got to be careful that you're not tripping over somebody, but man, um, it was more so than normal. I think my heels, got clipped at least once, if not twice during that first, just that first mile where my shoe almost came off once, one time I almost tripped and everyone was very polite, said sorry, but it was, and people weaving all around and it was just super, super crowded. So it was a little um, like unnerving that first mile. I was anticipating that first mile, but I will tell you, it didn't let up. <laughs> so you do the first mile and then um, we go over, I forget which mile, by, by mile two or so, we were going over the bridge 
and you do a U-turn and then come back over the bridge and then head to the Kennedy Center. And that entire portion had either a headwind or a sidewind. So definitely felt that. Um, mile three, three and a half, I think we go by the Kennedy Center and then you take a U-turn and you come back under the Kennedy Center as a big overhang. And a couple things about that. First of all, as soon as we made that turn, you could feel the tailwind kick in. So it was kind of a relief at that point once you make the turn. Um, but uh, Garmin gets really screwy as you go under that overpass. And we had a lot of questions about that from our runners. And I know from past years to like expect this, but you know, I looked down and my watch was telling me I was running like a four something pace or I don't know, some crazy, crazy pace. And as soon as you come out of that, your distance is messed up. So after that, before that, I was hitting the mile markers within a few, you know, it was like maybe within a tenth of a mile, not, not even. Um, and as soon as I came out of that, mile markers were the two tenths to three tenths of a mile off of what, you know, what my watch was showing. So the GPS definitely gets messed up going under the big overhang of the Kennedy Center. You just lose GPS signal. So that's just something for people to be aware of, not to rely on their garments, to look at elapsed time. I kind of in my head... Um, so I got motivated uh, and you'll, you'll probably remember this. I think it was five years ago. They had mugs. So every big anniversary of cherry blossom, this was the 50th anniversary of cherry blossom. They have mugs that they give away for people I who get under love a my mug. <laughs> yes. I have our pictures came up as a memory for me recently. So I think I thought it was 10 years ago, but I think it was five years ago that for the 45th anniversary, they must've given out the same mug that said, I would have won this race if I ran it in 1970. Which is the first chase they ran it. And for women, Catherine Switzer won it that year in 111.19. So if you run in under 111.19, you get a mug. So I really going into it didn't have a certain goal in my head. But when we were ta I was talking to some of our racing teammates about this in the morning, I was like, but then when that came out, I was like, I got to get under 111. Like that's, that's not, I got to get a mug, got to get a mug. I have a funny story about that at the end of the, at the end of the race. So, um, so in my head, I was like, if I can hit sevens or sub sevens, like I'll be good knowing. And I knew, so knowing where the wind was coming, I knew as soon as we went onto Haynes point, um, as soon as we got to the turnaround on Haynes point, so that's about mile seven and a half, we were going to be whacked in the face by wind. So I tried to build a little bit of a buffer. I thought if I can be around six fifties for all the miles to mile seven and a half, then that'll afford me a little time on the way back. And I did, I, that's what I hit was basically from 644 to 655, I hit every single mile spot on every single one. Um, and it's, so I knew that I was looking at the mile markers to be under seven minutes. So I was doing the math in my head. At mile five, I want to be under 35 minutes, counting for the fact that it took me about 30 seconds to cross the start line. So that's the better way to calculate it than looking at your watch, because my watch was telling me I was farther along and that I was, my pet pace was faster. And I knew that wasn't right. So I was just checking every mile marker. And um, I will say too, with respect to mile markers, I took a Morton when I was in the corral. So at about 7.10, 7.15, I took a Morton and I took a Morton at mile five. Um, so about 35, a little bit less than 35 minutes into the race. And it worked out. It worked out great. And I will say that what I was wearing, the shorts and the tank with the um, singlet with the arm warmers was perfect when the wind wasn't in my face. It was great. I felt like I, I was actually a little sweaty. I had our um, ear warmer on that we have. And I almost took it off at one point because I was getting a little bit warm um, and I had gloves on and I almost, luckily I had our, our run mitts gloves. So I folded those back because my hands were getting too warm. And I thought about taking off the, the ear thing at some point, but I didn't want to lose it. And I also knew that we were going to turn that, uh, you know, make that turn on Haynes point and it was going to get cold again. So outfit was perfect. I'm glad I didn't, you know, wear, wear more than that. Um, so um, yeah, so we had a, a nice tailwind from that turnaround at the Kennedy Center all the way through Haynes Point. A couple places we turned it, we'd feel it on the side or a little bit of a headwind for a little bit, but it was a really nice, it, it just allowed, I think everyone to get into a steady 
rhythm, except for the crowds. Like I still felt like there were still times when I was feeling like I was in a crowd and I couldn't get around people or people were weaving around me or, um, you know, it just, it was still, I was thinking this is like, um, uh, Boston marathon where you feel like you're always in a crowd. It, it felt even worse than that because the roads are more narrow. So there wasn't as much room to spread out. So I'm um, headed down Haynes point made the turn as soon as we made that turn. It was like a wall. It really, it really was. I, and I talked to people after everyone just was like, out. And I was trying to find people to draft behind, but you know, it, it would work for a little bit. And then uh, either they'd get behind me or I'd get in front of that, you know, it just, it, it only helped to a limited extent. Um, and even I was telling you earlier this earlier today, even at that point, so probably mile seven and a half, eight, um, I had a guy who ran right into me, elbowed me and, and um, kind of gave me a dirty look. And I was like, well, you're passing me and you elbowed me like what? And I was like, oh, and he was like, and then he was like, oh, never mind, Sorry. Um, I think he realized, but um, at that point, you know, in the race, seven and a half, eight miles, it wasn't crowded enough that I was getting jostled by people around me. So it was, um, like I said, that, that I think the, it being so crowded was another, certainly another factor that could affect, could have affected, I can't even imagine farther back, you know, how it was farther back. So just kind of pushed through the wind at that point, I knew two miles to go, I'm just going to have to push. Um, I tried to maintain somewhat even effort because I didn't want to empty the tank. I didn't want to fight it so much that I just lost my, all my momentum, but I would say my last two miles were seven fifteen, So I lost about 20 seconds per mile working harder. So I lost about 20 seconds per mile working harder, uh, but still calculating my head. I, I first, then I was like, okay, I should be able to get the mug, right? <laughs> I should be able to get the mug. And then I realized that I could get under 110, which is always, you know, I've typically been able to finish cherry blossom under 110. And so that gave me a little bit of motivation to push. And as we've told our runners before, and as you know, from running the race, the last um, half a mile, right, right within the last half mile, there's an uphill. So it was just that last push um, through the wind up the hill and to get to the finish line and um, cross the finish line right around most a lot of our, our MCRC um, teammates, our racing team teammates. And it was just funny, we kind of walked off the course to get we were walking off the course together. And um, one of them said to me, let's go get our mugs. But it was so loud and it was windy. At that point, it was really, really windy. And at the finish area, everything was blowing around. The heat sheets they were giving us were blowing around. And I couldn't hear. And she kept saying, let's go get our mugs. And I said, our what? And she's like, and she did like a symbol of like, or a signal, a hand signal of like drinking from a mug. But I thought she meant buds. I thought she was saying bud, like bud light. She's like, let's go get a bud. And I was like, no, it's okay. I don't want <laughs> And so we got a little farther off the course where I could hear her better. And she turned around and said, she said, I said mug. She said, I don't know if you heard, I don't think you understood what I was saying. I said, let's go pick up our mugs for getting under the time. And I said, no, I thought you said we we're going to go get buds. And I'm like, that's disgusting. <laughs> I can't drink beer right now. She was laughing. <laughs> I thought she was telling me we we're going to go drink some beer and get some buds, but she was saying, let's go get our mugs. So we did go pick up our mugs, got our mugs, uh, got some warm clothes on, came back to watch, uh, check the tracker and see when our runners were finishing. So I had told um, a few of our runners who had asked to try to meet up after to come to the medical tent where um, Rachel was. And I knew I'd be hanging out there. So we had a few stop by there. I tried to see, I was tracking our other runners. I tried to see some of them finish. I you know, again, so crowded, like it was so crowded at the finish as, as people are crossing the finish line. It was so crowded. It was so crowded to even get back to the finish to watch. So I tried to find some of our runners. I saw a few of them in the finish area after they finished. Um, I, you know, missed a lot of people. I tried to look on the course to see people. It was just so, it was so crowded that um, it was really hard to do that. But um, everyone I talked to had a great race. Uh, it was very cold after standing around uh, waiting after that's when the wind really got us. We were all kind of like, we need to, we need to get out of here before Gotta we get keep moving. Hyper. 
Well, I'm very proud of you, Lisa, finishing under 110 and you're, you've really, your racing this season has been phenomenal. And I think you're really setting yourself up for a wonderful Boston. And um, just to clarify for anyone listening, wondering how is she going to run Boston in two weeks after that race? This is something you've done for many years as have I, and this is your last big workout. You're not doing anything else until Boston. You will not have another even little type of workout in between. It's just a easy, easy run easy running, uh, some type yep. of 10 to 12 mile miler next weekend, if you feel like it, and then you get to the start line. So that's just, something yeah. and, and we haven't, and some of our runners, we advise to do this yeah. easy or MP. It really depends on, like you said, I've done this for now. I mean, every year I've done Boston, I've done this. So for, you know, 19 years of doing Boston, I've done cherry blossom before it and, and knock on wood, I've been okay with the exception of one year, but that was the year I did Shamrock full marathon before that. Then I did cherry blossom. Then I, that was not smart. So yes, I, I, I know my body. I know, I know that I, you know, can, but a lot of our runners, uh, we told them MPs, we told them easy run. We told them negative split. We told them, you know, whatever it was kind of practice, um, for race day. So it really is dependent on, on, on a lot of different factors. So yes, this is, is something I do every year. And, um, hopefully I'll be able to continue doing it. Uh, I will, the other thing I will say about this race is, it's just so impressive to look at the caliber of runners that run this race. Um, just looking at the different age groups and the results, um, there it's, it's incredible. Like I was looking even at the 60 to 64 age group. And of course our, our friend, uh, and fellow teammate Cindy Conant won that age group in one Oh eight, but even the second, third, fourth, fifth place after her, were all like, uh, I think they were all sub one fifteen, which is amazing for 60 to 60. It's just the depth of the, of the, um, talent at, at cherry blossom is, is really awe inspiring. It's, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty amazing. Absolutely. And, and I'm so proud of so many of our runners. We've had a lot of runners, um, come to us after they've been injured and help us, um, sort of navigate post-injury running. And for many of them, cherry blossom was the goal and they did so well and we're so proud of them. And then course, like you mentioned, we have some runners who were using cherry blossom to tee up for Boston like you and um, one runner in particular, Shannon Ross. I just want to give a shout out. She came to us um, after navigating an injury as well and was training for Boston because she had um, gotten into Boston before her injury, wasn't sure what that would look like. And she has really catapulted her training in a, in a relatively short time because she's had such a strong base and foundation from years of running. And we gave her a race plan and she was really not sure if she wanted to race it, but in, in our hearts, we knew she was capable and we knew it would be a great sort of tee up for Boston and give her confidence. And she did it yesterday and ran a 122, which is phenomenal in her new age group, 50 to 54. And we just want to give a shout out to her as well. And so many of our runners. Um, and before I forget, Elisa Harvey, of course, ran. And um, speaking of which, we made a mistake last week when we interviewed Elisa and we mentioned that she was the only woman to run the U.S. trials in both the 800 meter event and the marathon. But we were wrong. And um, Allison Wade from Fast Women reached out, which we so appreciated. And she let us know that actually it was Julie Brown also who made the 1980 Olympic team in the 800 meter and the 1500 and the 1984 team in the 5,000 in the marathon. So we just wanted to correct that quickly before moving on. So speaking of Boston, and um, it is that time, we've mentioned this a few times, but it doesn't hurt to mention it again. We have two big events on Sunday before Marathon Monday that we would love, love to see many of you at. The first is our shakeout run, which is at 9 a.m. Um, it's at Brewer Fountain, which is right in the heart of the Boston Common. Get there a little bit before nine. We have some wonderful swag that we want to give away in limited numbers. So first come, first serve. 
And we would love we to did have a couple well. questions about how long that would be because people have other plans during the morning. First of all, you can just come by to say hi and, um, you know, just hang out with us for as long as you can. Our plan shakeout run is only, um, you know, maybe 20 minutes. We usually do about 20 minutes. We usually do two loops around the park. So you could do one loop and stop. You, like I said, you've got to do what works for you. So you could not do the shakeout run. So anybody's trying to plan things, um, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to stay for very long. Great point. Great point. And then our second event that day, of course, is our podium pioneer panel where we will be moderating a panel with the host of women's running stories, Sheree Louise Turner. And that will be at the Boston Expo at 1 p.m. where we will be featuring three phenomenal women, Marilyn Bevins, Jacqueline Hansen, and Patty Dillon. And these women are so amazing. Their stories are amazing. And we cannot wait to share them and to amplify them for those who may not know their entire stories. And for those who do, we have no doubt these women will share a story that maybe you didn't know before. So we hope that you'll join us for that. It's free. No tickets are necessary. It's at the expo starting at 1 p.m. And um, we were really excited to see the schedule rolled out this week. It is official. And it was, we're just so excited honored, tickled, whatever the word is to um, be have the opportunity to do this. We certainly don't take it for granted and we would love to see many of you there. So speaking of Boston, we wanted to create something today that was helpful for everyone running. And so we decided to put together our tips A to Z for a successful Boston taper. After we provide these tips, they're just gonna be quick and dirty tips. We have a very special interview with um, who we believe is our top spectator and that would be Darren Sapper, my husband. He's been spectating Boston for many years and we interviewed Darren and he provides a really good solid amount of information on how to spectate with or without a car. So definitely listen to that. And if you have loved ones who will be spectating you, feel free to, Fast forward to uh, toward the end of the episode for that interview and send them over to Darren, who will be able to provide some critical information. But I just want to give a shout out to Darren, who year after year has come to spectate. I'm sorry that he won't be able to come this year to spectate, but I'm excited to take his place to spectate you, Lisa, with your daughter, Kira. And hopefully next year he'll be able to come back. But in the meantime, we so appreciated his tips. So before that, Lisa, why don't we get started and you go first. These are our top. Yeah, well, we want to just right our, our top taper tip. So yeah. anyone who's listening, got the next two weeks before we get to race day, and these are the things we've learned through the years that are really important to focus on. So the first is minimize stressful situations. How many times have we seen somebody who had, uh, uh you know, a big house project going on or um, something, you know, a, a big work project online? Now, a lot of these things we can't control, right? Like you have them planned already or they, they pop up, work is work, whatever. But to the extent that you can, don't take on more stressful um, situations. The focus should be on sleep, on recovery, on mental prep. B, listen to your hunger cues. So we get it. You're not running as much. So you may feel like you're not as hungry, but you still need to eat. Just shift your snacks and meals to gradually include more carbs. But conversely, when sometimes when we get nervous, we eat to eat, we just snack to snack because we're nervous. Try not to do that either. So we just really want to just remind everyone to be mindful. Think of your food as fuel for absorbing all this work. Don't even try to eat less because you think you're supposed to eat when you're hungry, eat to recover, eat to feel your run, eat to absorb the work. And if, if you feel like you're eating too much, you're not, you really aren't. You got to feel your, feel your body. And I want to mention, 
imagine really quickly on the side of this one, and we're trying to go through them fast. Um, for many of us, it's Passover. Uh, you know, coming up and that is going to alter how you eat. So we just recommend you, there are ways to get carbs still. There's fruit, there are potatoes. Um, you know, you can still get your carbs. Luckily, uh, Passover ends the Thursday before marathon and we wouldn't really get into a true carb load until Friday or Saturday anyway. So you will be able to use your normal carbs, but in the next, you know, eight days, after Passover starts, um, there are other um, carb sources. Quinoa is one of my favorite. Um, if you're someone who eats quinoa now, the um, you know corn and rice, then obviously that broadens your your options. But um, you know maybe alternative carbs, but still look for those simple um, carbs in your diet. Dried so fruit is a great one too. Love dried, dried fruit. fruit. Um, yeah, fruit. Not um, you know potatoes, all that. Not yeah. to be confused with the. Passover fruit slices. Those are really good too. And they're really high in carbs. So don't knock them. <laughs> As a quick aside, a quick aside to the aside, Kira had a pack of those like um, sour strips, you know, those like sour candy strips the other day. And I checked on the back 56 grams of carbs in a serving. So, you know, not saying it's like the best sort the best uh, source of nutrients, but a lot of carbs. So, um, the next, what were you going to say? Yeah, we have a runner, actually, Sari, who's going to be uh, racing a half this weekend, and she will be using the fruit slices for her because um, she's awesome. observing Passover. She'll be using yep. the Passover fruit slices for her. Uh, and if you're observing Easter, Easter, I just saw a little graphic today that you can take peeps. It's like five to six peeps an hour is the right amount of carbs. So I can't imagine trying to chew a peep while I'm running. But, you know, peeps is another option for, for if you link your run during a run. I love peeps. Okay. That's a whole other subject. You just made me think of you. So, all right. C, okay. let's go on to the next one. C related I, hydrate and just be conscious of your hydration. Um, keep a water bottle near you. Uh, you know, just, uh, don't overhydrate, um, but just be uh, aware, especially if you're somebody, you know, whose kids are on spring break the next week, you're traveling, um, your schedule is off. It's not your normal schedule. Pay attention to your hydration. D sleep, sleep as much as you can sneak in those naps go to bed earlier. Don't just hang out because you're tired and you're too, we understand how this feels when you're on the couch and you're like, I'm so tired, but I don't want to get off the couch and have to go upstairs and get ready for bed. Just, just really be disciplined about getting yourself into bed earlier. Sometimes it's hard to fall asleep, but chances are you'll fall asleep a lot easier. If you actually make a point to physically get into your bed earlier, sleep. And be consistent. That's uh, so that's something I start now is I try to aim um, for like, you know, and, and this is a little late, but I try to get in bed by 11 and I'm waking up seven o'clock. So that's eight hours. So um, hopefully I can get in bed earlier a ton, but like I'm trying to be consistent. It's 11 to seven every, you know, every day. And that's just my goal. And luckily my kids are on spring break. So I don't have to wake up at six o'clock in the morning to get the school process going. I can wake up at seven. So that's um, consistency. And in, in addition to getting the sleep, it's being just being consistent about it. Cause then you don't have to worry and get to Boston and Saturday night, Sunday night, your sleep isn't so great. You don't have to worry about it. Um, next one, E stay sharp. So we taper, that means we reduce the volume, but we keep a little bit of sharpening in. So maybe some marathon pace miles, maybe some 800s at a little bit faster pace. Um, keep a little bit of sharpness in your legs because you don't wanna to get to the start line with your legs feeling dead. F, stop your strength work. There is absolutely no need to do strength work at this point. You're not going to build any strength gains between now and Marathon Monday. Uh, you can do a little core work if you really need to. You can do you know, just a little bit you just, PT exercises. You might yeah. have PT exercises you should be doing. Sure. But no, no heavy strength, none, especially lower body. Yep. Um, but our next tip G continue mobility. 
So we still want to keep that range of motion. We still want to work. And that is something you can do. Um, again, not, not adding it or increasing the intensity of it, but working on your mobility. H, skip runs on days where you need extra sleep or recovery. This is not the time to push through discomfort because your schedule says you need to run. So if you wake up and you're just not feeling it, take a rest day. You will not make any fitness gains. You will not gain any fitness by running. You really want it this way. But you may lose fitness by running too much. So, yes. you know, if you're on the wrong side, you're you're in trouble. So related to that, I is shorten the run. So you don't have, if you don't want to skip it, you can shorten it or you can cross train. Like that's okay too. If you feel like you've got to move, shorten the run, especially if you feel something, because this is not the time where you want to get close to race day and still have something nagging you. So shorten the runs, or again, you can cross train. All right, Jay, this kind of goes back to our first point, which is you really want to minimize new stressors. So a new stressor would be a new physical routine. So for example, if you usually commute to work a few miles a day, great. You've always done that. You've done that in your training, no big deal, but don't add this new stimulus in because the weather suddenly turned nice and you decided that you want to commute on foot to work and you haven't all winter. This is not the time to do that. So kind of look at how you're living your life um, generally and try not to add in new physical routines during this two work two weeks yeah, this is not the time to go try out that new crossfit class or no, no. <laughs> not not the time to do that and, um, and if, also you want to avoid sitting around too much and becoming stiff that's something you know we don't really talk about that as much in taper it's like it's a tough balance because you're doing less you want to relax but there is a tipping point where if you sit too much you're, you're going to get stiff so gentle walks moving around keeping busy, doing things that are good to your body, all good things. Just don't add in extra physical stressors that aren't necessary. Yes. And speaking of doing things that are good for your body, K, if possible, book a massage. Um, and, and we would recommend asking around, trying to find somebody who's experienced with runners. So they know what kind of massage you need in the weeks leading up to, um, marathon day. Now we generally say, don't get a massage the week before I do, but I also have a massage therapist, Susie Collier, shout out to her. She's amazing. Who knows exactly what needs to be done the week before, which is very light work. And it's really just keeping things loose. So, um, you know, we would not definitely not recommend anything heavy, um, anything deep tissue, the week before, because that's going back to those new physical routines and new stressors. All right. So L is really important. And this is visualization. We've talked about this a lot. And of course we've advised everyone to pull up old Boston marathon videos and just watch them. But you also want to visualize yourself. You want to visualize yourself in different scenarios along the course during fun spots, during not so fun spots, visualize how you will tackle any obstacle that comes your way. So that you kind of have a roadmap and what to do and just visualize every time, every time you have some downtime, just kind of picture yourself running the course mile by mile and watching a video is a great way to do it. But I think it's just as important to internalize it and picture yourself doing it, not just someone else. Yep. And, and similarly, M is have a realistic race plan and an aspirational race plan. If you're going to race this and not event some, you know, a lot of people go to Boston and want to event this so they're experiencing it. And that is totally fine. Um, but, you know, think about your race plans and start, you know, write them down, study them both, see what they both look like so that you can even decide on race day, which we're, you know, which direction you want to go on. But this is part of the visualization is, is kind of the planning. What is, what is my race execution look like? Absolutely. And similarly practicing, having a realistic race plan, you also want to practice with your Garmin. So Lisa, you touched on this earlier with Cherry Blossom. 
it's up to you whether you want to use set your Garmin to manual or not. It's it really some people just like to just set it and forget it. Some people really like to have it set to manual where at every mile marker you're pushing a button. Whatever you plan to do, make sure you've practiced with it. Also, make sure you've practiced with the fields you intend to use. I always sort of find it interesting in Hopkinton. I see people setting up their garments um, in Hopkinton and kind of figuring out which field they want to look at while racing. And I just kind of wonder how come they didn't do that before. Maybe it's nerves. I don't know, but it's really important to figure out a field that works for you. There's multiple Garmin options. And here's one reason it's important because some people don't have the best eyesight. So if you suddenly change your fields from three to four, it's hard to see all of your data. So really think that through and practice with it. And, um, you know, we always recommend manual, but to be honest, it's overwhelming for me too. I've had some races where I use the manual function and some races where I set it and forget it. And I see both sides, but just practice with whichever one you decide to do. Yep. Yep. And, um, and our next tip is to start packing at least three days before you leave. Um, so I, I would say even more, I've already started ordering things and getting them in on Amazon. I just ordered, um, some ponchos the other day, just in case I thought maybe if I ordered the ponchos, it won't rain, but, um, but you know, other, uh, items that you're going to want to have on hand to pack trash bags. Um, even if it's raining, they're great. If not just to sit on at, um, uh, in Hopkinton, um, a water bottle to bring with you a blanket to wear, um, around yourself if it's cold or to sit on, um, like an old blanket that you can donate, uh, a portable charger. If you're taking your phone, sunscreen, visor, sunglasses, um, comfortable walking shoes for when you're in Boston, um, and comfortable shoes to change into after your race. So I always pack my UFOs in my um, check bag so I can just slip off my shoes, my running shoes and quickly put on some UFOs, but all those di different things that you're going to want to think about, make sure you've got your, um, your nutrition. I just ordered more Morton's that just came in. So I've got that lined up. Um, anything that you might, you know, want to have handy, um, for, for race weekend, you may, we used to always get um, a couple of things that we used to always purchase prior to Boston are um, footed pajamas to wear as our like warm up, you know, over our, which came in really handy, except for when you have to go to porta potty, that's a little complicated. Um, but that was always helpful. And um, a fanny pack, because you can take the fanny pack on the bus with your nutrition and stuff, and then discard it when you, you donate it when you're when you're in Boston. So those were always kind of our big buys were our what we're going to buy for footy pajamas and what we're going to buy for a fanny pack. Did you purchase your pajamas yet, Lisa? I have some from a few years ago that are, that are not used. So I'm just going to, I'm going to bring those with me, but I did, I was online looking and I'm like, wait, don't I have some? So, so I do, um, I, I've got, I think I may need more, um, discard clothing. So that's another point is to go to like Goodwill or look through your donation pile, um, to get like a big warm sweatshirt or sweatpants, because I just used some for cherry blossom that I probably would have used for Boston. I got to see what else I have laying around. All right. P plan your weekend events. So this may sound obvious, but believe it or not, there are so many cool events that are happening over marathon weekend. It's really overwhelming in a good way. So rather than wandering around and just kind of figuring out as you go, study the schedules, study, study the expo schedules. Of course, we mentioned that earlier. And then also the fun fest schedule, which is really great as well. And both schedules combined with all of the events going on at the stores and everything else, there is a lot. So map out what you want to do, but really we're telling you this to avoid wandering around the city. It's just, there's no reason to tour just to tour. And there's just too much going on to, to be able to attend it all. So pick and choose and make sure that you are selective so that you're not on your feet too much. 
And I would say even more than planning for the weekend events is plan your downtime. Like I look and say, okay, from two to four this day, I'm going to be in the hotel chilling out. Like I'm going to do this before, but I'm going to, I plan my, my chill out times. And um, related to that, our next tip is planning your, your meals. And I was just thinking about this today, like how, especially over the years, how it's gotten so crowded in Boston, it's gotten stressful to try to get out and get food. So either to get a reservation or to go pick up food somewhere, the lines can be long, it can be crowded. And I was just thinking about that, how like it's gotten hard to get meals in Boston just because of how crowded it is. So, um, you know, go at off hours. Like I know, like last year we went to, um, I think sweet green or something kind of at like two o'clock, we had eaten like a couple breakfasts and then we went to sweet green at like two in the afternoon when it was a little bit less crowded. The other option is Uber eats. Um, you know, or one of the delivery, um, the delivery options. Um, so you can just sit in your hotel room or in the lobby uh, and, and, and eat in a kind of chill environment. But that can be, um, you know, you can look around and, and make your plans and you can make reservations in advance, but it is crowded and that can be a stressful. Oh, the other, uh, the other thing quickly to mention um, is um, uh, going to like Trader Joe's or one of the grocery stores there. There's a star market where you can go pop in and buy some things to keep in your room. So um, just think about your planning, your, your meals and your, your, um, how you're going to get your food. And similarly, you also want to plan your hydration and snacks wherever you go. I've made this mistake so many times. I'm sure you have too, Lisa, where you're like, end up talking to someone a little too long, or you end up lingering of running into someone at track myth or something. And then suddenly you realize, oh my gosh, I haven't eaten in a few hours. I had this granola bar a few hours ago, but that's the only snack I brought. We do that every year. We do that. Or I didn't bring a water bottle with me. And all of a sudden I'm really thirsty. And then I panic, like I need to get water now. Yes. So just bring a, you know, obviously pack a a big, nice water bottle, have it full wherever you go, Uh, bring some noon tabs or something to have those electrolytes element, whatever you use, have those handy as well to throw into your water and just, just plan ahead with the snacks and everything. And of course there are always great snacks at the expo. (laughs) Yeah. So speaking of the expo. So that's the next thing is plan your, when are you going to go to the expo? Look at when you arrive into Boston, the hours of the expo. Um, I have a good tip for this one too. So there's a main entrance to the expo on Boylston, um, but there is an entrance to the expo in the Prudential Center. Um, And that is usually a shorter line to get in, but also to get through the line quicker, don't bring a bag if you can avoid it. Now, some people come straight from the airport and they have to bring a bag or they have some bag they have to bring. But if you don't have a bag, you will get in much quicker. Um, So plan when you're going, Um, maybe plan it around uh, like a panel that's happening or something like that that you want to see. But make that your hour or two that you go that the expo is back to being really a crowded, an amazing, really exciting, overwhelming event. But um, if you, you know, it is, it is mentally draining. So plan your time, say you're going to go in, maybe target a few things you want to see and get out. Great tip. All right. So in addition to the expo, there's a lot of things going on outside, including fan fest, which was kind of like an outdoor expo that started in the fall of 2021 race and they've kept it, which is great, but it can get chilly. So this sounds really obvious, but Boston has a lot of microclimates and one minute you can be really warm and the next minute you can be freezing. So bring a lot of layers, make sure you have them with you and that they're not at your hotel because when you shiver, you waste energy. And the day before you run this marathon, you don't want to be wasting any energy. So layer up, stay warm, make sure that you have warm clothing with you and not just in your hotel. Yes, that is um, all, all good tips. Um, and just goes back to conserving energy over the weekend. Like, you know, the least, the less that you exert yourself, the less, um, the more energy you'll have 
for, for Monday. Um, and similarly, another tip, limit your shakeout run on, on Sunday um, to 25 minutes or less. We'd usually do 10 to 20 minutes and it's really more for nerves and just keep your legs moving and for mental confidence more than anything else. You do not have to do a shakeout run. You know, I had a few runners of ours say, do I have to come? Do I have to do, I, I don't like to do a shakeout run the day before. That is totally fine. But uh, if you are going to do one, limit it to, we'd say 20 to 30 minutes at the maximum. I, I like 20 minutes. I think that's enough. I like 20 minutes too. So this is a, another obvious tip, but just a good reminder, complete your medical information. I know the BAA has sent a lot of reminders about this. It is important. They do use it. So make sure you have done that for, for your registration. And, the, and you can do that in the BAA um, Athletes Village app. And there's actually, I think they're using the same um, system that Cherry Blossom uses here. There's a new um, service that basically collects your medical information. It's all online. And so I, I know when I registered for Cherry Blossom, my information was already in there from Boston, I think. So once you register for one race, I think more and more races are going to start using that information. So make sure you do that. Um, and uh, once you get to Boston, so this is still in taper because it's still before race day. Um, we do this every time. Lay out all your all your items. Go through and say like, okay, I've got my nutrition. I've got my socks. I've got my you know my my whatever I'm wearing. My singlet. My shorts. I've got uh, my shoes. Everything. Make sure you have it all. So if you're missing something. You can go, there are so many places in Boston, there's the expo, but then there are just regular stores. I know one year I realized, um, so here's a, a quick tip on, you know, if it does rain, um, Athletes Village can be really muddy. And I realized that year I didn't bring an extra pair of shoes to wear to Athletes Village and bring my running shoes with me. So I went to like um, TJ Maxx or Marshalls or whatever was right there in the middle and bought it like kind of old, you know, just a pair of sh cheap shoes. So if you lay everything out, once you get there, you might notice like, oh, I really wish I had something that you didn't bring. There are plenty of places to get it, but you want to know that earlier in the weekend, rather later in the weekend. So we're almost at the end of the alphabet. X is remain calm and grateful throughout the weekend. And I think it's really easy to remain grateful through the weekend because as soon as you get to Boston, you will have so many pinch me moments. It's such an exciting time, no matter how many times you run it, whether it's your first or your 30th, it's always just such a weekend filled with gratitude and joy. But you also need to remain calm. It is so important to not, to balance that. I'm so excited with just conserving and remaining in a calm state. We emphasize this a lot because it is so important. You need to save your adrenaline for the start line. And so just really try to keep that calm gratitude in check throughout the weekend. Yeah, great tip. And like you said, it's pretty easy to do when you walk around uh, anywhere in Boston. When you arrive at the airport, if you're coming into the airport, there are signs that say welcome marathoners usually. So just take take a second, you know, take it all in and just appreciate that you've gotten there. Um, and then the last thing we'd say before race day is take a photo of your outfit and send it to any friends or family you have who are spectating so they know what you're wearing and they can spot you, um, spot you easily. So now we sort of end the taper and you're ready to start. And there'll be a lot of people hopefully out there looking for you and spectating you, whether it's at the race or from afar. Speaking of which, uh, we want to provide some spectating tips. So we're going to throw it over to Darren, who's going to provide his tips for spectating the Boston Marathon. So Lisa, I hope that you have a great taper. I can't wait to be with you in Boston. And I'm just so excited to make new memories over Boston Marathon weekend with you. Happy taper, Lisa.
Thanks, Julie. Bye. Bye. Darren Sapper, welcome to the Run Farther and Faster podcast. We're so excited for you to join us today. You've, of course, been one of our biggest fans, you and our moms, um, since we started the podcast um, in 2019. So we really appreciate that you're joining us today as a guest. And of course, you're joining us today because we really believe that you are such an expert on spectating the Boston Marathon. Of course, Darren, you started spectating the marathon in 2007 and have been doing so intermittently until most recently last year, 2022. And so we just feel like you have a great perspective and a wealth of information to share with our listeners who are having spectators come and watch them run. So thanks for joining us today, Darren. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. It's such an honor to be known as someone who is a great spectator. <laughs> well, you definitely are. And uh, I personally have appreciated for many years your willingness to come and spectate at Boston, particularly when our kids were really young. So why don't you talk a little bit about your spectating background and why you are an expert? Well, let's see. Uh, the first time we came up to spectate was 2007. And at that point, the kids were one year old and, and three or four, give or take, uh, all the way until 2022. Was that last year? Um, where they're you know certainly much older in the in the 18 and and, and 15 or 16 range. So uh, I've had a quite a, a range of 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 ages. Um, uh, every time we've come to to visit, we've always had a car. We can get into the details. We could we could break down recommendations for whether you have a car or don't have a car. Um, but uh, yeah, I've, I've uh, done this uh, seven times over the years and uh, it's just super fun. Um, it's actually, I know it's super helpful for the runners to, to have someone watch them on the course, but it's also quite fun for the spectators. All right. So why don't we break it down first? Um, and why don't we go through the logistics and tips for spectating with a car and without a car. So start with whichever you prefer first in terms of mode of transportation. Okay. If you if you do have a car, um, then the nice thing about having a car is that you could you could see your runner uh, three times. I don't think it's possible to do any more than three. Um, but if you if you're depending where you're starting from. Uh, I've always started from the suburbs, from your from your uncle's house in the northern suburbs of, of Boston. And um, so, if you if you map it out, um, you're able. At least what I've been able to do is get down to the first destination, and we can get into the specifics. But get down to the your first destination, um, see the runner on the side of the road, book back in the car, go to the next spot. Uh, you know, see the runner again, and go to the third spot, and then. Um, that's about as much as you could do, just given the logistics of driving and, and, and running times. So the nice thing about a car is you can see three times, um, starting earlier in the race. Uh, what I've done, um, we were coming. Darren, let me like interrupt you real quickly, just to ask you if you, it'll depend if you're coming from the North or the South, right? Because that's the side of the street that you're going to be able to, to spectate on is my guess, because you can't cross the course or is that, um, I mean, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah that's part of the planning is once you decide where you're coming from. So what, what I had done is we came from the Northern suburbs. So we, um, the first place that we were able to see Julie in, in many occasions is Framingham around a mile, around mile, um, six, 
maybe six or seven, five, six and a half, somewhere in that range. It's downtown Framingham. Um, and then we'd park the car somewhere near that, that spot around mile six and a half. Um, parking is actually not as difficult as you think. I mean, it, it is crowded, but there are, there are always people coming and going. So it's actually not that hard to find a spot near where you want to, to be. Um, when you get out of the car, you just walk up to the, the side of the road. Um, knowing that we were coming from the north, the, we, we had told Julie that you're going to see us on the left side of the road. So when you're approaching around mile six or six and a half, just move over to the left side of the street and then be ready to, to see us. And so you park, you, 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 it's actually not hard to find a little area to, to wait. I mean, it is crowded, but you can certainly find a, a four foot spot to, to, to camp out until your runner passes by. Um, and then after uh, he or she passes by, just walk you know, back to your car. Um, and then what we had, we had done in the past is go all the way to about the half marathon mark in, in near Wellesley College. Uh, and that is super fun. That's crazy crowded, just a great atmosphere. Um, uh, after Wellesley, then we would... Um, How's parking in Wellesley compared to Framingham? Were you still able to find a spot because it is so crowded there? Uh, it's, it, I'd say it's a little harder, but it really wasn't that big a deal. I mean, you, you loop around once or twice and you could find a spot. You're going to have to walk, let's say five minutes to get to the little downtown area, but it's not that big of a deal. You just do the math in your head and know when you have to, to, uh, to get to that particular spot. And then after Wellesley, uh, Julie, that's where we always saw you and Lisa and other runners around mile 20, maybe 20, 20 and a half, somewhere around Boston college right in the middle of the hills. So I think that's a good spot for, for, for people to be seen. Um, but once you get, so that's toward the end, obviously around mile 20 or so. And once you see someone there, there's really no chance that you could see someone by the finish line. I mean, you could drive toward Boston, but you're going to be in traffic. You'd have to park. It would be impossible to, to see someone again at the finish line, I think. Aaron, for, for people who are kind of plotting out their plans, did you put into Google Maps, like just the city? Did you put a specific location? Like how did you, you know, actually plan your drive? Like you navigate your drive to these cities? Yep. So for, for me, since we were always starting in that same spot in the north, um, yes, we, I, did, I overlaid two maps. I overlaid the map of the marathon itself with Google Maps and said, okay, I'm just going to drive down, in my case, Route 27 to get to Framingham. I'm going to get there by a certain time. And then I'm going to get back in the car and get on Route 9 and go all the way to Wellesley. So you do have to do a little bit of planning and just map out exactly the way you're going to go. So one idea thinking this through is if you just, you just mentioned you were on the left runner's left side of the road in Framingham. And then again, I believe you're on runner's left in Wellesley, right? Yes. And so yeah. you could just also find a, a restaurant, theoretically a shop or something, put that into Google maps and use that as an identifier too, and say, I'll be in, nearby this, this area. Yeah, okay. definitely. Right. So let me ask yep. you this. What, similarly, when you got to Newton for the Hills, was that complicated? How was the parking there? I know I keep asking the same question, but I just want to give people a picture of what the logistics were like later in the race versus at mile six and a half. Uh, par parking there, it's, that was easy as well. Um, I do remember when we go to, to, to Newton that we end up on the other side of the road. 
just the way the, the the roads work and you go under some underpass at some point and then you end up on the right side of the road um uh it's actually not that crowded there um it's a it's a residential neighborhood a bunch of nice houses you're on the hill it's really cool to see all the people because you could see they're working their butts off um and you do feel like people are just grateful that you're there because it's a it's a tough part of the race Darren, how did you find um, tracking Julie, like knowing where she was and how how soon she was coming? To, I, we, obviously, the Boston, you know, Boston Marathon has an app that has tracking to every 5K, I think. Um, did that, was that reliable for you? Were there other ways that you figured out? Were you just planning based on her estimated time? How did that work out for you? Uh, always in the, in the beginning, in the earlier years, it, it was all text message based. Um, and then in, in more recent years, it's been the app itself, but it's been totally accurate. I mean, once, once you cross some line, you get an alert immediately. So it's been, it's been very accurate. Yeah. Lisa and I know that firsthand because we made the mistake one year, we put all of our runners information in and in our watches plus, plus in final search and our watches were like going crazy. And I realized oh, oh every God. time someone yes. crossed any yes. threshold, you were there. <laughs> as we were running too. So I can only imagine as a spectator and I'll have that experience this year, year of course, as a spectator, um, my phone's just going to be blowing up. I'm sure as yours was, cause you weren't just tracking me, you were tracking Lisa and other people you knew who are there as well. Right. And I'm sure it, it's, it's, that's great to hear that it's accurate. Um, so you mentioned you were on the right side of the road in Newton. Can you talk for a minute about what typically you would do after you saw the runners you wanted to see in Newton? After we saw runners in Newton, we would either start the long trek back to the Washington, D.C. area. That's a, that was, that was a, sometimes we made that drive. Um, last year, we made it into the city, but since we knew we weren't going to see you at the end, we didn't really rush. We just got some lunch at some restaurant there in Newton and then said, okay, we're going to see you, I don't know, three or four o'clock sometime well after the, the end of the race at either your hotel or a bar. And, you know, we had no expectations on timing then just because we knew it would be chaos around the, the finish line downtown. Yeah. How was that? How was getting, even taking your time and getting in, where did you park? Did you park in a garage in Boston? Like where did you park once you got into Boston? Uh, just, I think we, 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 we parked about just two blocks from the hotel, just found a spot on the street. Wow. That's the worst case, we would have just parked in a garage. Right. So it is possible to get into Boston. It's just hard. <laughs> takes it, a while. Yeah. It's, it just takes a while. It's just regular old traffic. It's, it's nothing. Uh, there are no road blockages, um, but it's just regular traffic, just getting into, into the city. Right. If we didn't have a car, the the best bet is to I don't I don't think there's any way to see a runner more than twice. So what I would recommend is taking the the green line. The, um, in this case, the I believe it's the let me check. I would yeah take the the B line out to Boston College, um, which is the green line, which is the end of the line, and that that will drop you off somewhere around mile twenty. Um, there might be a short walk to get to the actual course. Um, so you can see your runners on, on Heartbreak Hill, somewhere in that area. And then uh, just get back in the train and go back downtown. And you could very likely see them for the end of the race. So it's only, you know, five or six miles, but uh, it's possible to see someone both around mile 20 and maybe around mile 25 or 26. 
but it's probably hard. I would imagine because it's my understanding. And I know you haven't used, did you ever use the tea? I can't remember if you ever use the tea as part of your spectating, but it's, it's our understanding that the tea sometimes isn't as reliable. So if you are crunched for a time, it's probably not something yeah, to guarantee. You're right. It is tight. It's the, the green line uh, in on the, on the Boston tea system, it's, it's the slowest line. It's like painfully slow. It stops every couple hundred feet. It seems like so, yes, it's possible to see someone twice, like I mentioned, but, but you're right. It is also possible that the line is so slow that you may miss them at the end. I always remember, too, on part of the course, we run alongside the tea and you see how crowded it is, like packed like sardines. So I can imagine yeah. that it could take a while to get a train where you can actually fit in the train. And then once you're on, like you said, you're kind of at the mercy of of, of the start and stop. So. I, you know, I know Julie this year, I think, is planning to spectate from within a couple miles of the finish line, which is, you know, I think probably a safe uh, a safe bet for a lot of people who have family that don't have um, a way to get around, don't have a car and maybe have a lot you know, small kids with them or trying to schlep around and try to get everybody on the tee. So that might be that might be the, um, you know, the, the best the best uh, approach is kind of to stake out a spot a couple miles from the finish. And um, how early do you think? Um, people need to get to closer to the fit, you know, closer in. I, I know you haven't gone much closer in, but based on what you saw in Newton, like how early do you think people should get to their spot if it's, you know, within two or four miles of the finish line? Uh, I don't think it's a problem at all. At least in Newton, it's, it's, it's residential street. There's, it's not like it's packed where you can't get in or anything. Um, I would imagine it gets a little more crowded, a little more dense as you approach the finish line. But um I wouldn't worry about not being able to find a spot on the side of the road. Did you, did you see any um, security or were there any, you know, security measures that were in place out farther out on the course, closer to the finish line? There probably, you know, there are, there certainly are, but was there any, did you have to go through any checkpoints or anything like that? I've never seen any checkpoints on the side of the roads. No. Yeah. I know I've read okay. that you, you can't take a backpack um, beyond any security checkpoint, but I've never seen one in the, in the, you know, along the road itself. Right. Yeah. And what, what did you bring with you? What, I mean, kind of, I know it probably changed from when the kids were little to the kids were older, but what did you bring with you? Um, and, and also probably dependent on the weather, what, what kind of weather have you had and how has that changed what you've brought with you and how you've planned? Uh, it, I mean, you're right. It, it, early on, it was a huge pain in the ass because you have strollers and you have, you know, your diaper bags and there's so much stuff to bring. And I, I, I thinking back at that time, it's, it's, it's painful just trying to remember all the things you have to carry just to do anything. Um, I just want to interrupt and say that, really that the marathon was like a vacation compared to you having to spectate with <laughs> Noah and Ella back in the day. I had an easier afternoon for that. Sure. The good end of the deal on that one, Julie. <laughs> Except for the ice marathon. That was, uh, I can't imagine you would, you would really think that after that crazy nor'easter one. 2018. Yeah. Were you there in 2018, Darren? I don't think so. I'm thinking of the early one that was. Oh, 2007. Yeah. The first one. Yeah. yeah. Wasn't oh. it a torrential downpouring? Yeah. So that race, you may remember, we, we actually were supposed to bring the kids and then we ended up leaving them overnight with your parents in Connecticut because there was this epic nor'easter. So you oh. actually came to spectate with me and it was my first Boston and it, it was awful because the winds were blowing in the hotel we were staying in. And you were like, you know, you don't have to do this. I don't, I can't believe you're doing this. And so I left 
<laughs> I think you wondered what, what it was going to be like for you to spectate, but it turned out it was okay when you were spectating that year. Right. So I just stood there in the, in the, in the cold rain. I don't even remember. <laughs> blocked it out. It didn't, it didn't, it didn't impact you I too must much. Have blocked it out. Yeah, clearly. It either it was so bad you blocked uh, so, it out or it wasn't so bad so that you just don't even remember it. That's true. Like childbirth or something. So yeah. something that, um, that might be a good tip is when you're on the side of the road, like I mentioned, it's good to know, it's good for the runner to know what side of the road you're on, of course. Um, the other thing is signage and it would be helpful if the people that are spectating are wearing something. Uh, sometimes we would go through the effort of making signs. So we go to CVS and buy those big pink poster boards or neon poster boards and just write a, a you know, some message. Um, and I think it helped. I mean, would you say it helped? Did you actually look for the signs when you're running or did you forget? Oh, I always look for the signs. I looked for you. I think what was also super helpful is you never said, I'm going to be at mile six and a half. You would say, I'm going to be somewhere between mile six and seven. So I knew to run toward the left set runner's left starting at mile six. So I wouldn't miss you. And I spent the whole mile kind of looking at the crowds to find you. And it gave me something to do and something to look forward to. I don't think any runner who has family or friends spectating minds at all, having to do a little work and seeing the signs is always super um, uplifting. And I also appreciated that you would send me a photo of the signs so I could actually look for the signs. So it wasn't like a big surprise on the course, but who cares? And it was a surprise when you sent me the text and they were always so cute. And it was really fun to, to see what you all created. It was awesome. Yeah, and nice. I've seen people with like balloons. So, you know, a balloon is another way to kind of be visible on the course and on the, uh, you know, yeah. on the flip side of it is you knowing what Julie was wearing and knowing how to look for her. So that's probably something, you know, uh, spectators should make sure they know what they're, cause you don't always see your runner leaving in the super early in the morning, but know what they're wearing. True. Good point. All right. So before we wrap up, Darren, um, you told me not to ask you this, but I don't care. Um, what do you have any memorable spectating moments that you can think of? <laughs> Do I have any memorable spectating moments? Because <laughs> I'm curious. Um, let me see. So I don't know about memorable spectating moments, but I do, it, it, it is just in, in summary, it really is super fun for the spectators as well. Um, it's, it, you do feel like you're helping people out. You know, I'm, I'm cheering like any other weird person out there cheering on random strangers. And some people look at you like, why the hell are you out here? And why are you looking at me? I'm miserable. And, you know, how dare you cheer me on? But most people are just really grateful that you're out there, right? Um, and it's super impressive. I mean, you, it's this thousands and thousands of people. You do feel like a slacker for not being out there. Um, but, uh, but you do feel like you're doing a nice little service for people that are, that are out there accomplishing an amazing feat. Um, and uh, it's just, a, it's just a lot of fun. The energy is, is exciting. Um, like I mentioned, Wellesley college is, is terrific. It's just, a, like I said, it's just energy. People are happy to be out there. The weather is sometimes nice depending on anything really. Uh, but it's a, uh, it's, it's a great thing to be out there. So I, I think um, I don't have any particular moments that, 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 that come to mind, but I just enjoy going and I enjoy, cheering you two on and everyone else that uh, 
that needs to be cheered on. Darren, you said you feel like a slacker standing out there, but not enough so that it would ever motivate you to run a marathon, apparently. So, um, so it clearly Does didn't thinking uh, about a marathon count? Too bad. Yeah, that counts. Thinking about it counts, sure. Yeah, thinking about it counts. So, um, but (laughs) speaking from, and I know Julia said this before too, runner perspective, it is like that's, and and Boston in particular, it's the spectators and it's the crowds. So, um, and as Julie mentioned, when you know somebody that you know is out there, it helps break up the race. So if you know that your your spectators are going to be at mile six and mile 13 and mile 20, you know, you get, you like Julie said, you go through entire mile six looking for them and then you start to look forward to the next one and then you get through that. So it definitely helps break it up. So, um, and a special kudos to you for, you know, schlepping kids that were one and three or four years old. Cause that's, uh, that's hard on a normal day. Never mind trying to navigate through a, a city and, and, and something like the Boston marathon. So I often say, I think that the spectators could be more exhausted at the end of the day than the marathon runners. Cause we've done it. Julie and I have spectated marathons before. And I felt like I was more tired at the end of spectating um, a marathon running from place to place and being on alert the whole time and um, standing in one place for a long time. So, um, so yeah. we really appreciate it. I know Julie's well, appreciated certainly. everything. Have been there. I love going up. It's it is too bad that that you can't see someone more than three times. Um, on it'd be nice to be able to see someone at the finish line and multiple times throughout the race. It's just logistically, you can't do it all. So you do what you can and uh, uh, you know, enjoy every moment. Yeah, well, it's, I think it's, it would be impossible to to see somebody at the finish line. I think that that's a really that's probably a very good tip for people to take away. Is don't focus on the finish line. Find something before the finish line, because it's, it's really hard to get there. And, um, and even if you can get there, we often won't see you because the crowds are so deep. Um, so any year I've had people at the finish line, I've never seen them and they usually don't see me. And then it's really hard to meet up with them after. So I think that's a really good tip. Very much. And and frankly, all runners know this. We don't need the support at the finish line. We need the support before the finish line. So thank you for always understanding that. And thanks for spectating all these years, Darren. I'm sorry that you won't be there this year, but I hope I do a good job in your stead spectating for, for all of our runners, especially Lisa. And um, yeah, hopefully you'll be back soon to spectate again. Certainly. When you're back thanks, next year, Darren. we will be there. All right. Well, thank you so much, Darren. We appreciate it. Talk All right. To you Thank soon. you very much for having me on. <laughs> Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Farther and Faster Boston Marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryan. And if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others and please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.